With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Anyone here? Hello? Whoops. It's not gonna stay. Hello? Anyone here? I think I'm here. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, who's that? Hear me. I can't see you though. Oh, yeah. Nobody can see me till I take this little piece of tape off. Oh. Okay. There, here I am. Hi. <laughs> Do you own an art gallery? No. Oh, no, that's just pictures on the wall. No. So are we the only two uh, early birds? No. I don't know. I just came on. To I hear someone. Hi, Rosalyn here. Hey, Rosalyn. Hi, it's Deb. Hi, Deb. How are you? I'm good. What about you? Real good. And Jeremy? I'm fine, Rosalyn. Thank you. Did anybody um, uh, look at my question on uh, Facebook? What was it? <laughs> oh, I was just wondering why people decided to sign up for this course or this oh. class. I'm not much of a Facebook person, so. Oh, well, I'm, the question is more important than the, than the technology. I'm just wondering why people signed up. Why did you sign up? Well, I knew that question was coming down the pike here. Uh, well, I signed up because I'd like um, to uh, get to a place where I'm more um, seeing more of the results of what the course talks about. And I've been doing it a long time, but I've, and I've seen some results, but I don't, I, that's my reason. I just, I want, um, I guess I want uh, things to be more clear and more fluid in my experience. Well, I signed up because I felt compelled. <laughs> I can't describe it any other way. It just uh, uh, seemed to make sense to do. Hmm. Deb, you? Hmm? Have you been a student of the course for a while? 
about 20 years. I read, yeah. I read the, um, well, I've read and reread different versions. I like the Urtext the best, but I thought this would be a nice opportunity to find it all combined together. Well, I like the Urtext the best too, and I'm not sure it's all combined together in, in this version because... It's not. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's from chapter 20 on, they never got the actual notes, uh, the Shuckman notes. Plus, she changed her notes around anyway, so... Yeah, I'm noticing that they're that that very like the FIP version. They edited out something. Oh, so but that's okay. Well, well, it's interesting to talk to people about what about about the thing anyway, regardless of who did what. You know, the I guess the the basic uh, principles are still at play no matter which version you use. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rosalind, how about you? Uh, I think in a way it's similar to you, Deb. I felt a big yes when I heard that mm-hmm. Tony was doing this group. Um, yeah, yeah I've, I've certainly listened to Tony um, at some of the conferences and different places, but I've never worked closely with him, so I thought that would be kind of interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I didn't know if I would actually get through this big version myself since I've, I've been around the course since the 80s before Marianne Williamson was famous. Yeah. Um, and uh, I knew her. She used to come to Seattle, and um, I always listened to her lectures. And then I got, oh, th- there's Tony. Hi, Tony. Hey. You're muted, Tony. You're muted. Yeah. Not anymore. Uh-huh. Hey, we were John. just talking about why we why we got in why we joined this class. Jeremy asked us. So uh, okay, I'm having trouble hearing. Hold on, I'm just still working on this. It's just the four of us. So far, looks that way. Let's see if I can turn the volume up some way. Well, you're fine in my end, Tony. Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, it might just be the speakers are turned down. Hold on. Here comes somebody. Yeah. It's Dawn. Dawn. Oh, I found the volume. Okay. Hi, Don. Are you there? We can't hear you. You're muted. Well, we just discovered, Tony, that uh, sometimes you know people show up a little early, and it's kind of nice to chat. Yeah, the room is supposed to open up automatically a half hour before the class. That's how we scheduled it. So you could come here. Hi, Don. Hi, Don. <laughs> you could come here a half hour early and chat. And actually, you can stay on a half hour later and chat as well. Hmm. Hello, Kim, 
Hello, guys. Are you still in Texas? Are you still in Del Rio, or did you go back to Lubbock yet? No, nope, I'm still in Del Rio. Wilson's coming in uh, this weekend for his birthday, so I'll stay here for a while yet. Yeah. I see a bag of money. It must be Yolanda. Yes. <laughs> Hello. Hello. That's me. I, I see Don's window, but I don't see Don. Uh, Griff will not be with us tonight. He's in a big truck moving. He's moving to New Mexico. So that's happening tonight. Let's see who's not here though. Christine Yaffe. Let me text her. Charles. Oh, and Charles. I can text him too. I should get you all on text, but for now, I've got Christine. You know, if, uh, Tony, there, there's an invite from Zoom right on the bottom of your screen if, if, if you have their emails. And you can yeah. invite them and they can just click on the Zoom thing. Okay. I will do that here. Let me send the message to Christine. Let me send the message to Charles. Hi, everybody. Hi. Hi. Hi there. <laughs> there y'all are. Oh. We're all here. We're getting here anyway. Who's that little cute one with you, Yolanda? Look at. She is a, she's a three and a half, uh, she'll be soon four years old. Tiny toy. Cute. Name is Gracie. She likes to, to be in my jacket here all the time. <laughs> it's cute. Thank you. I have another one. Uh, her, his name is uh, uh, Teddy Bear. Is a cinnamon chow and two different dogs. Very small and very big. <laughs> okay, I'm going to send a quick email to uh, the class just to remind them. I should have thought of that earlier. Charles. Hi, Charles. Oh, we got Charles. Mm -hmm. I'm finally in. Hello. I just have to remember to, to, to start at least 15 minutes early because the, by the time I boot up my computer, I find an old email that has the address in it and all the rest of it. It takes me 15 minutes at least. Pain. Kim can't hear you. No. You can't hear me? No, no Kim. Kim. Thank you. I have was muted. Okay. I can't. 
I can't seem to see how to get the gallery on the phone again. Are you? Well, on I want to know what this little creature is that uh, Jeremy has here. Are you on an iPhone? Well, yes, somebody I'm had a cute creature, so I decided yes. I should. So I got two cute creatures. They're actually. They don't animate. They just they do what I tell them. I, uh, animate I, I think we need a special prayer uh, tonight because uh, Trump just lost uh, launched uh, fifty Tomahawk missiles towards the Syria about five minutes ago. Like what's there to blow up over there? I thought they'd already done it. That's I mean that may have been a they're, they're going toward the Syrian air bases supposedly. Kim. Yes, Deb. What I did? Swipe with your finger to from um, right to left or left to right, and you'll get the gallery. Thank you. I got it. Okay. Four of us. And, and yeah. Swipe again. You'll get the next four. Oh. But I can't get everybody at once. No. Okay. You can get four. Okay. <laughs> Okay, why don't we, uh, let's all start with a, an opening press, bring our attention and our awareness within. So, yeah, let's just send light and love uh, to everyone involved, to Syria, to the people in Syria, everyone in government, to our leaders. That's just for a few minutes, just let go of our judgments of all of them and just bless them and affirm that they have as much of a connection to the Holy Spirit and to the divine as we all do, as everyone has. And we just see the Holy Spirit working in everybody's minds because that's what we want to strengthen for sure. We want to strengthen everybody's connection to the Holy Spirit so that they make the spirit-guided choices. Let's let go of this idea of we know what the right and the wrong thing is to do. And Holy Spirit, we just turn this whole matter uh, into your care. And we place the future in the hands of God, as the Course of Miracles lesson says. And help us to stay, stay steady and secure in the faith that all things are working together for good, in the long run, and it is our task to help that good come forth by seeing the good in all of our sisters and brothers everywhere. Amen. Amen. Actually, in this case, I'd like to say a woman because I don't think men are doing too damn well good. <laughs> we love you. You know, this is reminding me a little bit of the part in the course, at least the versions I've read, which say sometimes you're going to be surprised at what you say and do. You're <laughs> going to startle yourself. Yeah. So, a uh, couple minutes here. Anybody got something they'd like to? Jeremy, you had something you uh, you wanted to ask people what what inspired them to join the class? Or Oh, Kim is showing yeah. off her book. She's got her book. Hey, Kim. Everybody's got their book now. Yep. <laughs> Part of an exercise program. <laughs> <laughs>
Who would like to answer? So, Jeremy, what is your question? Well, well, my question, which I did post on Facebook, was what was it? What was the reasons, or what were their motivations for uh, signing up for this class? Well, I can handle that one uh, for myself quite easily. I've gone through this class a number of times. I've gone through since I've been at it for so many years. I've gone through uh, the classic edition. I've gone through what we call the original uh, edition. And I just thought, well, I, I continue, and I, you know, I go through Way of Mastery, I go through uh, Course of Love. I just want to do anything I can to get closer to God and to understand uh, better what my role is uh, for what, what God wants me to do. And so, to me, being able to read the footnotes, as frustrating as they are, I thought, well, maybe there's something here for me to learn. And uh, so I signed up. Besides, I, I love to harass Tony, so. <laughs> Did you have to pay extra to do that? Yeah, sure. <laughs> within, within reason. But within reason. That's a pretty broad. That's, that's pretty broad. Anybody else like to um, uh, answer Jeremy's question? What, what uh, prompted you to join this class in particular? Well, Rosalind and I were both saying we felt compelled. Compelled. We both had a big yes when we when we heard your announcement. Yep. As well did I. Yes, I did too. And I was really interested, Jeremy, in actually reading the notes that uh, were uh, 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 transcribed by Helen. Yeah, I had heard that it was also more personal, and I was interested in in all that personal information. Yeah, I will say that you know, for me, that I mean, I can answer the question of why I wanted to read this particular edition. For one, um, uh, I've known Robert Perry for you know probably almost thirty years or thirty years. I was um, communicating with him. Uh, quite a bit when the earlier editions came to light in 99 and 2000. And uh, he wrote an article for our publication, Miracles Monthly, uh, early on when the new editions were just surfacing and everybody was trying to make sense of uh, what was going on. And it was startling and confusing, but interesting and revealing. And there was, you know, anyway, he wrote an article that uh, actually it's on, still on the CMC website. Uh, comparing and contrasting the edits. And um, at, in that article, I think at the end of the article, and then also in subsequent conversations I had with him right at that time, he said he, he was really coming to the uh, conclusion that an entirely new edit needed to be done. So that was like in 2001. <laughs> so, so I've known that he has had this idea for a real long time that he really felt that it was necessary. I didn't know that he was actually doing it. I, I, I wonder, he did tell me once maybe eight years ago or something that he had done one chapter and he, and he found it kind of remarkable. But that's the last I heard about it. And then I, I, I lose sight or I lose communication, not lose it. I mean, we go in and out of communication. We don't have reasons to communicate, but uh, for, you know, a year or two or so. But then every once in a while we reconnect. But I think it was last October or November 
he sent me this like a bridged version and um, told me that this is indeed what he'd been doing and that he would really like some feedback. So, um, you know, I, I, I have always known Robert to be an impeccable scholar um, and, and a man of very high integrity, I believe, even though, you know, people will challenge everybody. And, uh, and, and, and a civilized, cultured man. Um, yeah, actually, years ago, I called him a, a gentleman and a scholar, and I said, I, you know, and I really mean it with you. <laughs> I go, you really are a gentleman and a scholar. Uh, and so I, I really wanted to just, I wanted to read what Robert, what Robert had done. And, and as, as maybe as a little bit flawed as it might be, uh, I, I certainly don't mind uh, a little, you know, I think they're all flawed in some way, all the, all the different edits. And, you know, there, there's pluses and minuses with all the edits. I, I take that uh, take that as a given, but I just knew that um, I would want to read it, and the best way for me to read it, first of all, I don't want to read it alone. That's kind of boring, and I don't get as much, so I'd rather read it with a group. So I said, well, the best way for me to do that is to have a class. So um, I started lobbying the board of directors to let us do a class and since we had started to embrace this zoom technology we were using it for something else and i just think it's sort of the the future i said let's let's let it be our first class using zoom let's just do a zoom class let's see everybody we can do this now so they did so here we are so where is uh, christine i do not know i i texted her just now, I mean, I probably should have sent an email and a text to everybody yesterday, but, oh, she, oh no, this is you. I'm trying to get in. Oh, uh, that, that, that is a hell, because I had to go back through my old emails to find the, the, link. the link. After I logged on, it came through the email of the link again. Yeah. So it does help. I, I should, I got to make a note to myself that sometime on Thursday, we need to send the link out to everybody again. So I don't know. I do know. No, I, I do know that Griff is moving. You know, he's in a he's in a truck moving. I took uh, the original email with the link and put it in a in a special folder, so it's always there. Yeah, I put made it in it. my notes so I could find it easily. Okay. Yeah. 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 I need to do that too. Me too. So Tony, before we start reading, um, I was thinking a lot about the edits and about the different versions and i remember reading in the urtext there was the special message that jesus gave to helen uh in 1975 in which he talked about how he was going to direct very carefully the unfolding of the course and how it would roll out and that there wouldn't be any mistakes in how it was done and it made me realize you know at, at, there was a time when i was um I couldn't believe that the FIP version had so much left out of it when the urtext made things so much clearer. And even now, you know, there are some things out of this version that um, that are in the urtext that don't show up. But I think it's all done according to the way it was supposed to be done. Yeah, I, I believe that. Actually, there's a lot going on about this right now. I don't have a lot of time. I had a talk with Gloria Wapnick today. <laughs> I had um there's something in the mix right now about what we're trying to arrange is that all the original documents get professionally scanned and then put up 
publicly available on the on the internet. And I've talked to Judy Scutch about that, and I've talked to, uh, and today I finally got through to Gloria Wapnick. So that's all progressing. So I actually, and, and then I talked to somebody else who's involved with this project, and he said exactly the same thing that you're you're saying that. It, 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 when you see it from a perspective of many years and you see how it's all unfolding, you begin to see that it is all actually working exactly as it needed to work. I actually think I'm beginning to realize now that, uh, you know, Helen and Bill and Ken and, and working with Jesus got the best book possible out when they got it up. Um, their egos, whatever was going on, it wasn't going to allow them to, you know, I, I, this book wouldn't have, it wouldn't have made it to, to mm -hmm. press. Well, and, you know, but the, and consider the time in which it was released also. Right. There were different attitudes then. The 70s. The yeah. Mid 70s. Yeah. Yeah. So they released the book that needed to be released at that time that could be released at that time that they were that they felt comfortable releasing at that time and and, and they had a lot of discomfort about even that and and but times are different and things have changed and now all this other material has come to light and now we're getting different edits and it's somehow it's all part of the way it's supposed 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 to be mm -hmm. so and, and you if all the material about sex had been included in that first one, you know, it the reception of it would have probably not been nearly as good. Yeah. Who I mean, who knows? But anyway, okay, uh, somebody else quickly, and then we got to, uh, was it Kim? Then we got to read. Well, the only other thing I was going to say is, well, Jeremy, really, I also, because I love Tony's classes and always enjoyed that, and also wanted to read ACIM. The man that introduced me to CMC, Ed, loved Robert Perry's work, and I really wanted to read this just for him. He passed last year at this time, and so I, that's another reason. Thanks. Okay, cool. Okay, so let's start. I, I think we'll read a little. Maybe in the second half we'll come back and we'll read what the first cameo. Um, so we are reading Miracle Principle number 27. What page is that, Tony? It's 19. In, uh, yeah, it's 19. And uh, let's, uh, you know, I, I, there's no really good way to handle this footnote thing. So I think we'll just keep doing what we're doing. Because I do think it's important not to break the material up too much with the footnotes. But if you wait too long to read the footnotes, then you don't know what they're referring to. I'm not, anyway, if we wait at all. But anyway. Oh, it's a compromise. <laughs> but, um, so let's, uh, if the miracle principle is not too long, let's read the whole principle and then go back and read the footnotes that related to that principle. Uh, okay, so I'll start. Uh, a miracle is a universal blessing from God through me to all my brothers. It is the privilege of the forgiven to forgive. Souls cannot rest until everyone has found salvation. The disciples were officially and specifically told to heal themselves as physicians of the Lord. They were, I'm sorry, they were, oh, I'm sorry, I read that wrong. The disciples were officially and specifically told to heal others as physicians of the Lord. They were also told to heal themselves 
and they were promised that I would never leave them or forsake them. Atonement is the natural profession of the children of God because they have professed me. The children need both strength and help. You cannot help until you are strong. The everlasting arms are your strength and the wisdom of God is your help. Heaven and earth shall pass away means that they will not always exist as separate states. My words, which are the resurrection and of the life, shall not pass away because life is eternal. You are the work of God, and his work is wholly lovable and wholly loving. This is how you must think of yourself in your heart, because this is what you are. Okay, now this has all kinds of footnotes associated with it. So the first one there is number 45. Um... Oh, I'm sorry, the first one's 46, and uh, it's referring, uh, it's, it's referencing Matthew. It says, these 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Jesus may also have in his mind Mark 16, 18, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. As later on, he says, he has already mentioned this verse. Okay, so that's in reference to him saying that he told the disciples to go out and heal others. Uh, the next one is 47, which uh, was a, a, a reference to the everlasting arms. He said... Um, and it says, the everlasting arms are your strength, and the wisdom of God is your help. Okay. Uh, the, the footnote is from Deuteronomy. Right? Yeah, Deuteronomy. Am I reading the right thing? No, I skipped one, but you're okay. I, I skipped one. Oh, okay, so <laughs> it's clunky. Okay, I skipped one, 47, which was uh, right at the top of the page. I will never leave them or forsake them, 47. That's from John. 1418, I will not leave you desolate. Let your conversion be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake me. Okay, so now we go to the Deuteronomy one where he says, uh, because life is eternal, and in Deuteronomy 33, 27, it says, The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath thee are the everlasting arms. Okay, that's that one. Then we have number 49, uh, which is Mark 13, 31. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. Who, who believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. In the above course passage, rather than Jesus being the resurrection and the life, his word, his teaching is. Okay. Then there is 50, which is in paragraph 5. This is how you must think of yourself in your heart. Okay. Proverbs 23, 7. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. The course reverses cause and effect here. Instead of how you think of yourself dictating what you are, what you are needs to dictate how you think of yourself. 
And then 51 is a reference to a cameo. Okay. Okay, so let's, uh, let's read one more before we comment. Um, okay, it's seven paragraphs, but I think it's a little better if, if one person reads a little bit more. So, Rosalind, how about you reading uh, all of 28 and then all of the uh, footnotes that relate to it? Okay. Miracles are a means of organizing different levels of awareness. Miracles come from the below conscious, subconscious level. Revelations come from the above conscious, superconscious level. The conscious level is in between and reacts to either subconscious or superconscious impulses in various ratios. Freud was right about this basic classification, but wrong about the names. He was also right that the content of consciousness is fleeting. Consciousness is the level which engages the world and is capable of responding both to external and internal impulses. Having no impulses from itself and being primarily a mechanism for inducing a response, it can be very wrong. For example, if the identification is with the body, consciousness may distort superconscious impulses by denying their source and seeking their impact in the orgasm. This is in it, this is the result of mistaken identity. If you will look at the effects of revelation, you will see that there are some similarities in the experiential results, but hardly in the content. Revelations induce complete but temporary suspension of doubt and fear. They represent the original form of communication between God and his sons before the intrusion of fire and ice made this impossible. It should be noted that they involve an extremely personal sense of closeness to creation, which human beings try to find in sexual relationships. This confusion is responsible for the depression and fear which are often associated with sex. Sex frequently involves a lack of love, but revelation is purely a love experience. Physical closeness cannot achieve this. As was said before, the subconscious impulses properly induce miracles, which are interpersonal and result in closeness to others. This can be misunderstood by a personally willful consciousness as an impulse towards sexual gratification. Revelation unites you directly with God. Miracles unite you directly with others. Neither emanates from consciousness, but both are experienced there. This is essential because consciousness is the state which produces action, though it does not inspire it. You are free to believe what you choose, what you do, attest to what you believe. The deeper levels of your subconscious always contain the impulse to miracles, but you are free to fill its superficial levels, which are closer to consciousness, with the impulses of this world and to identify yourself with them. 
This results in denying yourself access to the miracle level underneath. In conscious actions, then, your interpersonal relationships also become superficial and miracle-inspired relating becomes impossible. Okay, so I think you've got uh, 52 through 56. Okay. 52. In other words, Freud was right that the conscious level is reacting to impulses from above and below, but he was wrong in naming the level superego, ego, and id. The levels are more properly called superconscious, conscious, and subconscious. 53. This paragraph introduces a view of the mind that is taught in the first four chapters of the text. In this view, the mind has three levels, with the conscious level sandwiched in between the superconscious heavenly level and the subconscious levels. The subconscious level is then itself divided into two layers, a superficial layer filled with the impulses of the world and a deeper layer filled with the impulses, the impulse to do miracles, filled with the impulse to miracles. 54. This originally began, if you will look back at the description of the effects of Revelation, this seems to refer to Helen's original description of her revelation. Quote, the impact of this was incredibly intense, like a great burst of unexpected clarity. It was briefly so compelling that it seemed as though there was nothing else at all. The whole world just disappeared. 55. This appears to be a reference to the 1920 Robert Frost poem, Fire and Ice, which on a literal level speculates on whether the world's whether the world will end through burning or freezing. However, the poem identifies fire with desire and ice with hate, and is therefore really about the destructive power of desire and hate. This dovetails nicely with the reference here in which fire and ice seemingly destroyed our original world, a spiritual realm characterized by perfect communication with God. 56. Miracles come from the below conscious, subconscious level. Okay, good. Great. Let's talk about this for a little bit. Well, Well, I, I find this, unfortunately, this is an occasion where going back and forth um, bothers me because I could have sworn in this principle there was the use of the term demons, but since we've gone back and forth, I can't find it again. <laughs> so, a highlighter, Charles. Yeah, I'm trying. Well, I'm trying not to in this book, but I may have to have to do that. I thought for once I might have a book I didn't mark up all the time. <laughs> and I guess that's not going to happen. Uh, what did did anybody else notice that word? The use of the word "demon." No. Yes, it's there. Yeah. I, I, I thought 
you know, a, a modern day uh, Jesus, I don't believe, would use the word demon. I think he would say there are there is no such thing as a demon. But I think historically, in the time in which he said this, it was quite common for people to talk about demons and other such creatures as if they really existed. Well, demons, where is the word? Because demons don't necessarily have to refer to a creature. It could simply... Yeah, I, I know, I can't find it. It could simply be a, um, an impulse. A, it doesn't have to mean... Demons can, can be... Demonic. Um, yeah, something other than a creature. Right. It can be a demon of the mind. You know, There's the dark places. Yeah, right, right. Okay. I didn't find it, but. Okay, get, getting back to um, you know, what I said about why I read this book and why I want to read this book and, and my respect for Robert Perry. Um, okay, so in, in 28, Miracle Principle 28, paragraph four, where there is that reference to fire and ice, I would not have a clue what that would be referring to. <laughs> I, I would have no clue that that was referring to a 1920 Robert Frost poem. I mean, I just, I just wouldn't have known. And Robert is the kind of scholar who would dig those things up um, and, that, and then figure out how to tie it in. Um, because he says, well, in the Robert Frost poem, Fire and Ice deals with how this world will end. But in here, it seems to imply how we left, you know, left heaven, or left um, the spiritual realm. So, I mean, that's a pretty interesting, first of all, just, just to figure out what that reference was. And, and then his interpretation of it, you know, we don't have to accept it as um, it's just his interpretation. But it's interesting. I, I think Robert's interpretations are always worth thinking about. Speaking of uh, scholarship, have you noticed that he's quoting from three or four different versions of the Bible? So you're getting the New King James Version and the King James Version and Revised, what is it, Revised Standard Version? Revised Standard Version. Yeah, I did. But thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, you're right. He, he's finding the version of the Bible that most matches the passage. Yeah, that's interesting. I think Dawn wanted to say something. Go ahead. I just wanted to say that the reference to demons is in uh, footnote 46. Oh, what's in the footnotes? On page footnote? 19. Oh. Uh, from Matthew, from mm -hmm. yeah. in the New King James Version. New King James Version. Yeah. Oh, I see, yeah. So you can rest, Charles. It wasn't something Jesus actually said. <laughs> at least, at least not to Helen. You know, I'm I'm getting reminded of something from uh, I think Joseph Hillman, who was a Jungian guy, and uh, he. Um, uses the word diamond, I think, as an expression of what people call demon. I think it's historical. There's a historical basis for it. And it was basically means 
your essential nature that you need to um, nurture or you'll or, or it won't be good and that reminds me of the Gnostic saying um, what you bring out of yourself will save you and what you keep hidden in yourself will destroy you mm. just my thought I am glad for the for the refer the the several references they have to uh, sex uh, in this book. I, I think it you know some people may be upset by it, but I think it le- leaves a certain um, level of, of reality and, and believability to me that um, Jesus isn't afraid to, to talk about anything. That there there are no taboos as there are, as there are in our culture where there are things you're not supposed to talk about, and I'm glad that he does. Well, I'm upset that there's no pictures. Yes. <laughs> That's the next version. <laughs> and they're looking for actors. No. <laughs> Anybody else something here they'd like to... Uh talk about okay well then let's uh, let us read on so we've got 29 this looks like a three paragraph one Don would you like to read 29 and whatever um, sure that are associated with? yes <clears throat> Miracles are a way of earning release from fear. Revelation induces a state in which fear has already been abolished. Miracles are thus a means and revelations are an end. In this sense, they work together. Miracles do not depend on revelation. They induce it. You are quite capable of miracles already, even if you may still be too fearful for revelations. Revelation will occur after you engage at the visionary level in a process of denying fear. Revelation is intensely personal and is actually not translatable into conscious content at all. That is why any attempt to describe it in words is usually incomprehensible even to the writer himself at another time. This is why the book of Revelation is essentially incomprehensible. Revelation induces only experience. Miracles, on the other hand, induce interpersonal action. In the end, these are more useful because of their impersonal nature. In this phase of learning, working miracles is more valuable because freedom from fear cannot be thrust upon you. The experience cannot last. Miracles, therefore, are the essential course of action for everyone. Let's see, where do I start? 57 and 58. Okay, thank you. Impersonal here refers to the fact that miracles aren't directed at individuals based on anything personal or specific to them. 
miracles disregard all differences between people and see everyone as equally deserving. This is the opposite of the selective miracles mentioned in Principle 4. The experience of revelation cannot last until miracles have prepared us for permanent freedom from fear. Okay, okay, that's a three. We got a short one here. Jeremy, how about you reading number 30 and uh, the, the one footnote that's associated with it? Okay. Miracles praise God through you. They praise God by honoring his creations, affirming their perfection. They heal because they deny body identification and affirm spirit identification. By perceiving the spirit, they adjust the levels and see them in proper alignment. This places the spirit at the center where minds can communicate directly. And where's the footnote? It's 59. Oh. Uh, the alignment, proper alignment, yeah. The levels here are proper, are probably, again, that of spirit and that of body. Okay. Uh, another short one, so let's read that. Charles, you want to read uh, 31? 31. <clears throat> Miracles should inspire gratitude, not awe. Human beings should thank God for what they really are. The children of God are very holy. The miracle honors their holiness. God's creations cannot lose their holiness, though it can be hidden. The miracle uncovers it and brings it into the light where it belongs. Holiness can never be really hidden in darkness, but a person can deceive himself on this point. This illusion makes him fearful because in his heart he knows it is an illusion. As with all illusion, he exerts enormous efforts to establish its validity. The miracle sets validity where it belongs. Eternal validity belongs only to the spirit. The miracle acknowledges only the truth. It thus dispels a person's illusions about himself and puts him in communication with God. I guess there's no footnote. No, uh, no footnote with that one. Okay, uh, okay, well, let's just do 32 as well. Okay, Yolanda, you want to read 32? Christ inspires all miracles, which are essentially intercessions. They intercede with a person's holiness and made, make him holy. They place him beyond the physical laws and raise him into the sphere of celestial order. In this order, he is perfect. The spirit never loses its communion with God. Only the mind needs atonement. The miracle joins, joins in the atonement of Christ by placing the mind in the service of the spirit. This establishes the proper function of mind and abolishes its errors. Okay, great. Let's, let's chat about these for a little bit. So we read um, 27 through 32. I, I'm sorry, we read, no, we didn't read 27 through 32. We read, uh, yes, we did. 
we read through 32. <laughs> what did we read? 29, 30, 31, and 32. Or maybe, yeah, I think that's what we read. Well, I like, uh, this is Charles, I, I like um, number 32 because uh, it gives a different uh, definition to what a miracle is. And I, I think this is what it really is, is, is what it, it says here. Uh, it intercedes for a person's holiness and makes them holy. I, I think we, it play, they place him beyond the physical laws and raise him into the sphere of celestial order. In this order, he is perfect. And we, don't, we do not recognize our perfection. We constantly deny it. We constantly say we're not good enough or I can't do this or I can't do that. And so I, I, I think it's, it's very comforting to me to have this acknowledgement as, as to who we truly are. Uh, that maybe, even if it's a moment, once a year, I act that way. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, great. Uh, Tony, here, wasn't there a place where they said the book of Revelation was essentially incomprehensible? Yeah. yeah. That's in 29, somewhere there. Mm-hmm. Paragraph three. Yeah. Oh, there it is. Paragraph three. This is why the book of Revelation is essentially incomprehensible. That's quite a statement. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm I'm glad it says that because it's always been incomprehensible to me. I mean, a revelation seem like they they're they are personal. You know, they're you don't understand them yourself, but they help you, I guess, and they uh, they are. Uh, does it say they're experiential? I, I don't know if it says that, but they sort of adjust you. <laughs> it's an adjustment process along with what you understand if you think you understand it. Only experience. There you go. Somebody else care to share something? How about somebody we have not heard from? You haven't heard from my wife? She's in the other room. You want to hear from her? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. I won't. I won't tell her. Not you haven't heard. You haven't heard of my cat either. So. Not, not at this moment. <laughs> How about Reverend Cam or Reverend Yolanda? Anything to share? Okay. Anybody. Well, I don't know what section it was from, but recently they talked about confusing uh, the spiritual realm with, well, a, a personally willful person or whatever can confuse the a spiritual impulse with a sexual impulse, a physical impulse, and uh, I'm a witness to that. Okay. You know, this, this is just a structural issue, but does anybody understand why, you know, sometimes to stress things, they're in italics, but there's also these faint underlines every once in a while, too. Yeah, that, that's because in the urtext, those are the words that were capitalized by Helen. 
And they took out the capitalizations in this book, except for certain words referring to Jesus. Ooh. They took all, all the rest of them out. But where she had emphasis in the urtext, it's, or maybe her notes, it's underlined. And how does that differ from the ones that are italicized? Same thing. I think it's just a, it, where she underlined it in the urtext or did a different emphasis on it. So they're, they're delineating between these two different kinds of emphasis? Well, I don't know. Here, let's pick one. Revelation induces only experience. Well, if you're going to look at the Eartech, remember it's different. Even the principles are different. Well, yeah, but I mean, it, it tracks, kind of tracks the pages. I've been tracking the pages. Okay. Oh. You are, you are good. <laughs> if you look at Miracle 29, in that very first sentence, Revelations induces state in which fear has already been. So that's underlined. Yeah, already been is underlined. But I'll tell you, unless your glasses are really good, you wouldn't notice it. <laughs> I, I haven't noticed it. That's a pretty faint <laughs> underline, but it, it is yeah, pretty, pretty faint. So, Deb, you're trying to distinguish the, the difference between what those little dotted underlines are and what the italics underlines are, what they designate? Yeah, if there's, if there's, um, I'm trying to compare the urtext in a specific, a specific yeah. passage to see. Let me see. Well, keep going and I'll keep looking. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, this is Kim and I will comment on uh, Miracle 29, uh, note number four. Uh, uh, I think the it's very uh helpful to me to read revelation induces only experience miracles on the other hand induce interpersonal action and and uh, interpersonal it, it I mean it takes two for sure going in right okay so I found that passage in the urtext okay and it's the urtext only is in all capital letters and action is in all capital letters so those are the ones that are italicized. Okay, where are you? Uh, I'm on 29, on page 22, 29, and number four. Oh, I got it. Okay. Now what about the underline? What about the underlined ones? So in the underline, let me find an underline here. Here is a couple paragraphs earlier where it says revelation induces a state in which fear has already been. Okay. That was two paragraphs before what you just found. Already been is in all caps in the urtext. So it sounds like it's just, it was a choice of the editors. Okay. It's a choice of the editors. So Robert is making some distinction between the ones that Maybe he believes. I'm gonna. I'm gonna ask him. Okay. 
I'll let you know next week. Also, the, like, for example, the do not, already been and do not, which are underlined there in number two, in the urtext, those are in all caps. They're in all caps. Yeah, but maybe they're different than the notes. I don't know. Okay, may, okay yeah. That's, oh. That could be. Oh, if you, it could be that though, if you go back to page one, um, 1,922 and keep going from there where it starts to talk about emphasis and I'm not sure, but there could be some information. I was just looking through the back to see because they start talking about the different edits and the different, yeah. different versions and then they talk about the footnotes and then emphasis and there could be um, some information back there. Okay, and, th and some of the appendices. Okay, I'm sure you'll tell me. Oh, yes, because it says in the text, Helen underlined all words that were emphasized by the voice she heard, resulting in a much greater number of emphasized words than is found in typical writing. So she clearly took care to get this right at times underlining a word, then crossing it, then crossing out that underline, and then putting the emphasis back either in her notes or when dictating the urtext to Bill. This emphasis can be extremely clarifying. So it goes on. Oh, I found it. Yeah. Yeah, I'll read it. There's a paragraph here. Uh, we therefore retain, it's, on, it's in, on page 1923. We therefore retained all emphasis. This includes emphasis that was crossed out by Helen in the notes, but then restored by her in the urtext. However, we thought it would be inappropriate to, to italicize all the emphasized words because their frequency so exceeds what we are used to in conventional writing. Therefore, with words where the emphasis seemed especially important and helpful, we place those in italics. The rest we underlined with a gray underline, designed to be visible but not distracting. This way, the emphasis still registers, but not as strongly as with italics. Just be aware that the decisions regarding which emphasis to make gray underlines and which to grant full italics were based on our own subjective evaluation. Our distinction between gray underlines and italics does not come from the original dictation itself. Yeah. Can I take a, Can I tell a, a very quick story about uh, emphasis in the urtext? Sure. Well, okay. I, I because my eyesight's gotten so poor, I use a text-to-speech program. I, I imported the entire uh, urtext, and, and then I just played it and recorded the recorded the playback. And the uh, program had a, a couple of interpretations that it would do. Like when it the, the the letters U.S. like us, if they're capitalized, it would read as United States of America. <laughs> <laughs> and the the if it capitalized is would read as island. So that's just, I managed to listen past that stuff, but. <laughs> funny. Okay, so, so basically all of it was, uh, was emphasized in her, in the text or in her dictation. It was all, all capitals. But Robert Perry and his uh, editorial team has decided that the ones they feel basically are the most valid or most appropriate, they have italicized 
and the rest they put in uh, in faint underlines uh, just to make it not so strange in appearance. Oh, very good. And now we know that. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> that is helpful, actually. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, I kind of explained. I was, I was getting a little confused by uh, what was going on there. Okay, anything, uh, anything else? It's 10.30. Yeah, this is probably this is probably a good time for a break. So let's take a 12-minute break. And then when we come back, let's uh, we're gonna let's read one of the cameos, at least one of them. Cool. Okay. Okay, so call back or or I mean you can do whatever you want. You can just turn the audio or the the thing off and just go back to your computer and turn it back on at uh 40 42 after. There's a there's a picture of Ed right there. That's a picture of a flower. Oh, that's where he's buried? Oh, no. I'm seeing Ed. I'll check. <laughs> oh, well. I guess it's showing different on mine. It shows me and Ed. That's a flower. Oh, that's in the yard. Okay.
Anybody there? Yeah, I'm here. You know, I kind of find it interesting that the chorus, whatever version you're, you, you, you read, emphasizes that spiritual development occurs more quickly through relationships than through just knowledge or through, you know, kind of doing it yourself or just being with God and doing it with God. Uh, at least that's my interpretation of what I've read. I, and I think that's really true. It's much more challenging to try and put principles into action with <laughs> with other people than just in, in your mind, you know. Oh, yeah. I think uh, A Course in Miracles is really, I mean, it says in the text that, yeah, the, the, the means that this Course has given you, it's basically is, is holy relationships. Holy relationships is the means that we've been given to, and it's, I think it says that right after a dissertation about um, meditation and how it's not necessary to have long periods of meditation. So it's almost countering sort of the conventional wisdom that a lot of meditation is really important to the spiritual, to spiritual progress, at least in the courses of view, I believe, you know, relationships, just staying in relationships and because we project all of our unfinished stuff, we project all of our stuff onto the other person and then we have to not judge and forgive and that's what heals it within us and so that's, that's a that's a fast track, that's the fast track way. Yeah, that, that's the same interpretation I've thought of, yeah. Well, it's still kind of cold up here in the northwest, but I managed to plant two raised beds of lettuce, lettuce starch, and uh, I moved the tomato starch. I started everything from seed, moved the tomato starch out into the greenhouse, which I built, and uh, with the help of Jesus, I think, whatever. And then... Uh, Good for you. I used to, you know, I, I was... Uh... I was a farm boy as a child. I did all that stuff and we, as a child, and we had, you know, gardens and farms. And we, we were vegetable farmers. Our cash crop was onions. We grew oh, onions. boy. Onion farmers. Well, that sounds like maybe you were up here in, in Washington because there's a lot of wa onions in Washington. No, we were in upstate New York. Oh, I was an onion farmer in upstate New York. Well, I did. York. I'm sorry. That where, were, where were you in upstate New York? Uh, near Syracuse, out of the middle of the state, near Syracuse, New York. I was uh, born and raised in a little town called uh, Canastota, New York. Oh, mm. I, uh, my family comes from Canajoharie, New York. Oh, yeah, I know of it. I don't know if I've ever actually been. Yeah. I lived in uh, Ithaca, New York for nine years mm -hmm. before I moved to San Francisco. Are you Italian? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So sorry. Tony so Ponticello. Huh? Uh, okay. Tony yeah. Ponticello. Yeah. Ours is Givanoni. Oh, yeah. Galuki. Galuki. <laughs> really? Italian there. My mother's side. Yeah. Okay, we should be able to, the, the cameo's kind of long, but 
Okay. You should be able to read it. Griff will, are we be, upset. Griff will be upset. He missed a cameo. Are we, are we waiting till 42 after? That was, uh, yeah, that's what I said. What time is it now? I got 38. Yeah, we got a couple more minutes. I'm sure a few more people will join us. You, you, Deb, you're someplace. That you're not in your cottage tonight. You're no, I'm at my house. Yeah. This is my dining room. This is pictures in the dining room. Okay. You're lit really nicely, though. Yeah, cause there's a chandelier above, which uh, throws nice light. And the dining table is a good place to spread out. Yeah. Okay, here comes Rosalind. Rosalind, are you still in Florida? You're muted. Yeah, I know. Me two more weeks. Yeah. Two more weeks in Florida? Well, yeah, two more weeks in Florida, one week in um, Philadelphia, and then back to Seattle. Oh. Where Florida are you? Uh, Marco Island. It's on oh, the yeah. Gulf Coast. Yeah. Do you know it? What? Yeah. I, uh, my mom is in Port Charlotte. I'm headed down there in a week and a half. Oh. I don't know where that is. Is that close? It's the West Coast. Um, oh, West Coast. Okay. South of Sarasota. Okay. Yeah, I like Sarasota. We have about 80 degrees, 70 degrees. It's been mm -hmm. nice. Yeah, it snowed here today. Oh, oh wow. Here comes Yolanda. We have an ordination here this Saturday night. We're getting ready for five people getting really? ordained. What's, What's an ordination? What are your ordinations like? Uh, well, Yolanda was in one, but they're different now because we're in a different, um, you know, we're, we don't have the facility. We used to do them in, in the facility. Uh, so this one is going to be at a, at a restaurant, actually. We've got a banquet room in a restaurant. So we're going to have mm -hmm. the ceremony uh, there, and then we're all going to have dinner. Mm -hmm. And the... Uh, Ordination ceremony. Uh, I think s seven different uh, CMC ministers, previously ordained ministers, all take little parts in the ceremony and they get to say a few words to the people who are getting ordained. Then there's this little ritual, um, voice and response ritual we do with the, with the people who are getting ordained. Mm -hmm. And that they each get a chance to say a few words. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was just a year ago that uh, Yolanda came to yeah. San Francisco. Yes. Right in April, too, I think it was, wasn't it? End of April? Yes, uh, the, uh, the end of April. Yeah. Yeah. And we what, were, uh, how many? We were, I think, six people. Yeah, five or we six. We were. Like that, yeah. yeah. 
we were ordained. Five or six, yes. Yeah. Three. And then afterwards, when, then we were we did it as part of our Sunday service, and then we had a party afterwards. Yes. With food and champagne, but we can't have those kind of parties uh, where we're having our gatherings now. So, um, and we and we can't hang there and, and party for a long period of time, and we don't really have the kitchen space. I don't know; it just wouldn't work there because it's a hotel lobby, and we got. And there's, you know, residents. So um, we had to figure out something else to do. Plus, it's kind of small. Mm-hmm. So what we decided, uh, so actually, this is classier. We're going to a really nice restaurant. We've got a, a really big banquet room. And we're going to uh, we're gonna do it up there. So that's good. Okay, we're going to read uh, uh, the first cameo. And... Um, <laughs> That is in the back of the book. It's page uh, 1,683. Can I do an amusing aside uh, while we're uh, looking at this? Um, I went to an emergency preparedness uh, meeting today um, because they haven't had an earthquake in Squim in like 300 years or something like that. And so one of the things they used as an example, it was New Zealand that had a devastating earthquake a little while ago, and they – they, they said always have um, a potty chair or a commode or a bucket that you use for human waste. And, I, and it so happens because Pat and I have been in hospitals, we have a, a commode from a hospital. And apparently when they ship these things in uh, to New Zealand, um, they disappeared. And they couldn't figure out what was going on until they, they realized that people were putting them in, the, in their backyard and putting umbrella chairs and such around them and charging Five dollars for each for their neighbors to use them. <laughs> oh, neighbor. only humans would do that. <laughs> Price again. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well. Okay. Well, um, let's see. Yolanda, did you just read? Yeah, I think Yolanda read 32. Yes, she did. Reverend Kim, why don't you start? Let's see. So, uh, I don't know. Is it, what cameo is it? One? It's one. Not one. Let's do cameo one. You okay. Know, read, read, uh, read over on to the next page a bit until I tell you to stop. Okay. This is not a selfish gift. In June of 1965, after years of conflict in their professional lives, Helen Shipman and Bill Thetford joined in the goal of demonstrating another way, which they hoped would transform their working relationships. This triggered in Helen that summer a series of startling inner visions and paranormal experiences. Then, apparently toward the end of that summer, she made what turned out to be a prescient, prescient announcement. One day during that same summer, I told Bill I was about to do something very unexpected. I had no idea what it was, but I knew it was going to happen soon. At Bill's urging, I had been keeping a sort of diary since our visit to Virginia Beach. Now Bill suggested that if I wrote down whatever occurred to me in connection with the unexpected something, I might find out what it was. 
Therefore, sometime around October 18 or 19, Helen began writing down anything that seemed relevant. She said in her autobiography, nothing much came of my attempts at first, and I was on the point of giving them up. But actually, these early writings clearly reveal a spiritual impulse that was trying to emerge into consciousness, like a new shoot just starting to push through the soil. She records spiritual reflections that do not at all sound like the musings of a self-professed militant atheist. I think under the projection and all that stuff is a hidden nostalgia for the soul. We want it back so we can identify with it because that is what we are really and somewhere we know it. This AM, it occurred to me that I had no right to waste anything, money, clothes, or my own life because thus everything has to be used right. It all has a place in the plan and you must not throw gifts away. Okay. Okay, thank you. Uh, Deb, how about you read for a little while? It seems clear that these thoughts are coming from somewhere beyond Helen's conscious mind. Indeed, an insight she writes down regarding her tendency to forget names, it may be more a fear of involvement or interaction, is later identified by the course's author as coming from him. I emphasize again that your tendency to forget names is not hostility, but a fear of involvement or recognition. She records dreams with obvious spiritual content. In one account, she says, the crucifixion was a total rejection of the body by others, projection, and its destruction, which was really a purification. As a result, the soul could enter entirely into the temple, heal it, and use it only constructively. She also records prayers, including a long impassioned prayer for Dave Diamond, a friend who is dying from brain cancer. This prayer is infused with ideas that will later appear in the course, as we can see in these excerpts. Dave, don't give in. You have a real mission. Don't lose your chance. Miracles are the natural law. Then I asked Christ to help Dave know he was there and to see him and know the truth so he could be free. Your spirit and mine can unite. And then two of us have come together in Christ's name. Jesus promised to be there, Dave. Your brain does not matter if you will understand life as Jesus did. Finally, sprinkled throughout these writings, she records statements from a voice that speaks as if it is Jesus and that Helen calls Christ. I was really quite depressed this AM, which is now very unusual. I used to be all the time, but he says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Okay, thank you. Uh, I'll read uh, a little bit. Then on October 20th, everything changed. The voice, which we will call by the name that it later gave itself, Jesus, went from showing up occasionally, brief statements, to delivering an extended discourse. And this discourse, which was specifically about Bill receiving guidance and Helen asking on his behalf, became the jumping off point for the dictation of A Course in Miracles. Earlier, Helen had written down the following items. One, ask what is interfering with Bill's meditation and how to overcome this. Two, Bill's list. 
Now, on the day before the course would begin coming through, Helen returned to these two items. The first of which is specifically about Bill's ability to hear guidance in meditation. He has apparently been wondering how to access a gift like the one that Helen has stumbled upon. Here is the question that she asks of her guidance. I said he promised to come when he was called on and Bill asks for guidance and does not receive and has really tried to knock and it has not been open to him. I think the door is ajar a bit, but I really wouldn't call it very open. Is it all right if I ask you for him since he wants me to? Before recording this question, Helen had actually already started to write down Jesus's answer. She wrote, one, if you do not get an answer, it is always because you ask amiss, but then crosses it out. Now she writes his answer down in full. I can't answer when he asks amiss. When he asks right, I have answered. He has a tendency to get part of an answer and decide himself when to disconnect. He should ask if that's all. Since I don't know where, when he's going to ring off, I have to be very short and even cryptic. <laughs> it chops messages up too much. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jeremy, can you read a few paragraphs? Okay. The main problem, then, is that Bill is too quick to hang up the phone, so to speak. Now Jesus elaborates on further, area, on further areas of interference. There is also interference from three major areas, the first three items on the numbered list that follows. He doesn't, number one, he doesn't have much real confidence that I will get through. He never just claims his rights. He should begin with much more confidence. I'll keep my promises. The writing now apparently switches to Helen speaking to Bill. But you do not act as if you really expect to, expect him to, sorry. This attitude of asking with confidence as if claiming a birthright is the same attitude encouraged in the workbook's instructions for listening for guidance. For example, quote, there is a message waiting for you. Be confident that you will receive it. Remember that it belongs to you, unquote. There is another kind of related error which is illustrated by his question about, quote, when you are going to call the hospital, unquote. It's not right to interfere just to check, just to check. It's selfish, but more than that, it makes things too personal which always implies doubt. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna try, let's try to read about half of this and then chat. Okay, uh, Rosalind, can you read a little bit? Without knowing what the call to the hospital is about, it's hard to be sure what this means. Jesus mentions this situation later saying, remember your slip about the effect on Neurological Institute and his bills asking when you are going to call up? Whatever the details, Bill is being interfering and even selfish due to his own lack of trust. The implication 
may be that Bill's asking for inner guidance at times has the same quality. This might be a clarification of the earlier idea that Bill sometimes asks amiss. Three, he has to learn better concentration. His mind flits about too much for good communication. Suggest a very short phrase like, here I am, Lord. And now addressing Bill directly, don't think of anything else. Just pull in your mind slowly from everywhere else and center it on these four words. Here, Jesus gives Bill a meditation technique which involves putting all his attention on being fully present to God and on nothing else. The idea is that the kind of concentrated focus on God will help Bill hear guidance. This, too, is the foreshadowing of the workbook. It anticipates the workbook's meditation instructions, which sometimes involve making oneself fully present to God, See Lesson 183, for example, and it anticipates the workbook's training instilling one's mind in order to hear guidance. His voice awakes, awaits your silence, for his word cannot be heard unless your mind is quiet for a while and meaningless desires have been stilled. Four, tell him to be sure not to make to mistake your role. If he overreacts to or overvaluates you as a person, both of you will be in danger. Okay, great, thanks. Uh, just a little bit more, how about Charles? <clears throat> Let's see. Bill already feels that he lacks his own access to God. If he puts Helen on a pedestal as a spiritual idol, he will further denigrate himself and dangerously inflate her. He should he should try to be he should try to get his own list. Armstrong, whatever Armstrong is, may just mean his own one. Own arm is strong. The matter of Bill's list is not specific, but from what little we know, it seems very similar to Helen's list, which is discussed in the notes just days later. Her list is a list of people selected by guidance which have thrown away their chalice of atonement, their reconciliation with God, and who need Helen's help to get it back. She has been assigned, in other words, to hand them back their own choice. Helen's list, Bill's list, is also apparently a list of people in that someone named Joe Armstrong is twice mentioned in connection with it. And like Helen's, it seems to be a list revealed by guidance in that Helen appears to be asking Jesus who was on Bill's list. However, rather than hearing the names of those on Bill's list, Helen gets a very different message. He should try to get his own list. The name Armstrong is then apparently turned into a pun in which Bill's arm is strong enough for him to get his own guidance. When it comes to guidance, in other words, Bill can rely on his own strength. He shouldn't be leaning so heavily on Helen. This somewhat curt guidance may sound quite definite, but it will soon be reversed. Jesus' discord on Bill's hearing ends at this point, and things take a dramatic turn. It's as if during this guidance something has been building in the background, and it is now ready to break through. 
But before it can do so, Jesus needs to explain to Helen the bigger picture. He, Jesus, thinks it's time for some explanations, which were probably already, which were probably ready for. There are always risks in speed-ups. The whole thing was undertaken because things were getting behind schedule because so many people persistently lost more than they gained. Okay. Okay, let's pause for a minute and uh, just make any comments about any of this. Well, number four, where he says, um, tell him to be sure not to mistake your role if he overreacts to or overvaluates you as a person, both of you will be in danger. It reminds me about how um, this material used to be referred to as a psycho-spiritual um, text and, and workbook. And I, I realized I haven't heard that in a long time, but the wisdom psychologically is just so brilliant in this text about human nature and how we think and how our feelings and just... I mean, that's so brilliant to know that if he overvaluates her, they're both in trouble. I mean, it's understanding human nature to a great depth. Mm -hmm. Does anybody hear it any, any longer referred to as a psycho-spiritual material? No. I will if you want me to. <laughs> Mary Ann Williamson used to call it that all the time in every lecture years and years ago. Yeah, I've heard that in a while. Yeah, and I haven't listened to Mary Ann in a while, so I, I don't. No, it's not anymore, but years, in, like in the 80s and 90s. But to me, as, as having had a psychotherapeutic background, I have always felt it's just completely brilliant in that sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was noticing, and maybe, um, Tony, you know more about this, but I thought that um, Circle of Atonement kind of focuses on meditation, and I know that you were talking during the break about um, meditation practices, and the course seems to be very clear that none, nothing that focuses on the body as a means of attaining uh, the end result is necessary, even though there are paths that will lead to that, 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 that can be followed in that respect. This course doesn't follow that so that meditation per se isn't necessary and isn't uh, uh, maybe a quieting or a stilling of the mind. But I, I noticed that they seem to gravitate toward meditation practice. Is that, and that maybe I'm remembering that from some of the books I've read from there from Robert. I can't really. I mean, I, I can't really speak to what the circle of atonement recommends or does not recommend. Um, I I know that you know if when you follow the workbook, I mean, many of the practices are pretty classic meditation practices, um, and it certainly does uh, gradually work us up and then sometimes asks us to spend 20 minutes and a half an hour doing things that are that one would be would classify as meditation and I think the circle is always pretty pretty strongly focused on doing what the course says to do so um, and, and that would be the text and the workbook so I would assume they probably since the workbook says that uh, probably focus on that at least 
for their you know, beginning students. Um, I think the question would be then, what does somebody do after they've been through the workbook? You know, and I don't know what the circle actually recommends for that, but maybe somebody, I don't know, has anybody else here been a, a real student of the Circle of Atonement? Well, I can uh, address that because um, Ed and I went to the course house in Sedona and went to a Circle of Atonement meeting uh, downtown the night before. But the next morning, they always had a 10 o'clock class and, you know, in, in a circle and they were going to discuss. And, and it was very, very, Greg Mackey led the, this one particular one I'm thinking of. And, and they were requesting, you know, we're going to meditate now. You know, there were probably 10, 12 of us and uh, sitting in a circle in like a large living area and, and and ed was right beside me and and ed and 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 greg made i mean he went over it very carefully several times we're gonna you know close our eyes and we will meditate you know we're not gonna doze we're just gonna close our you know be still and i mean the second greg Mackey finished ed's head fell back and ed went <laughs> I mean, it, uh, he was right beside me. I started cracking up, and everybody eventually did. He, I mean, it was just so. I mean, Ed, Ed didn't intend it. I mean, he didn't even know it was happening. We were all. I mean, it stopped the whole thing. But it, so it was highly valued. <laughs> and Ed, I mean, it, it was just a. Uh, it was a miracle. I think they probably have a little stronger focus on meditation because of the workbook practices. Mm -hmm. Although in, uh, it was in Las Vegas when Greg Mackey gave one of the lectures uh, in the, in the uh, breakout sessions. And as I recall, he did not speak of it at all. And that was just what uh, a year uh, going on two years ago. So, but, but I don't know, you know, he was, he was, uh, he was probably really trying to stick to his topic, but you know, he, he had a topic that he was there to present and there had been considerable reminders to stick to topic. Uh, cause we always try to get the presenters to do that at our conferences. Cause that, that's always been a challenge, um, is to keep our conferences and keep the presenters on their topic. So, um, you know, he had a topic to speak on. Oh, he did such a great job. I'm oh, sure he did. <laughs> it's wonderful. Okay, anything else uh, here about this, um, this essay that we've been reading? I, I love the, the way uh, uh, the meditation so-called steps are described here and uh, of course uh, uh, the workbook also uh, described them but I feel that is it makes more sense for me how to to meditate when I, I read what is described here than when I I do the workbook so I love it I'm curious what um okay more people lose more than they gain or more than they gained i'm wondering what that's referring to where are you what is that yeah i thought about that too the, the speed up the need for the speed up 
You know what I was thinking that referred to, uh, Jeremy was, I, and this might be totally off. I was thinking that must have referred to the list of people that had not accepted the atonement or so, uh, that we had read earlier. I, I don't know. Well, I guess in general terms, I think it must mean love. They lost more sense of love than they gained or something. I, I can't quite get it, really. Well, when I they don't talk know. They talk about the, the celestial beat up. Go ahead. Sorry, Tony. I don't know. Just where is that reference you're talking about? I think it's the last paragraph we read. Um, he, Jesus, thinks it's time for some explanations, which were probably... Oh, oh it's ready. right. Yeah, yeah. It's the last thing that we read. Yeah. He just thinks it's time for some explanations, which we're probably ready for. There are always risks in speed-ups. The whole thing was undertaken because things were getting behind schedule, because so many people persistently lost more than they gained. Well, I guess I'm curious what they what they lost, and I'd like to see a copy of the schedule. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's there throughout throughout he's talking about the reason for implementing the atonement was because after the separation things spiraled out of control and the defenses were being used as the two-edged sword and so there was the need to to introduce something to move people forward toward sort of sort of the the atonement the reconciliation so they were there was too much separation happening and i think um, there's a really great paragraph which which describes um, everything spiraling out of control, and I'm trying to find it, but the whole point of the atonement was to try to speed up um, our evolution. Yeah. As a human. Back, yeah, yeah. Back to reconciliation, I suppose, you know. Where's that great paragraph? What's love got to do with it? Hey, <laughs> Kim. <laughs> What's love but a second-hand emotion? Oh, we're singing. I thought we should have a theme song for our group and all sing it together. And Tony says it wouldn't work because it's, we're not synced up time-wise. So, but I still yeah. like the idea. Just Okay, let us read on. Let's finish up reading the uh, the cameo here. So, um, I think it's uh, Charles read last. So, Yolanda, if you would start reading, uh, it's, it's where Helen later in her autobiography. Helen later in her autobiography fleshed out the uh, thoughts that rapidly entered her mind at this point. I was given a sort of mental explanation, though, in the form of a series of related thoughts that crossed my mind in rapid succession and made a reasonably coherent whole. According to this information, the world situation was worsening to an alarming degree. People all over the world were being called on to help and were making their individual contribution as part of 
of an overall prearranged plan. I had apparently agreed to take down a course in miracles as it would be given me. The voice was filling its part in the agreement as I would fulfill mine. I would be using abilities I had developed very long ago and which I was not really ready to use again. Because of the acute emergency, however, the usual slow evolutionary process was being bypassed in what might be described as a, quote, celestial speed up, unquote. I would sense the emergency, no, I would sense the urgency that lay behind this, quote, explanation, unquote. Whatever I might think would be, I, whatever I might think about this content, the feeling was conveyed to me that time was running out. <coughs> somebody can, somebody else can read. I have to mute the. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, hey, Tony. Yeah. And I, I found the paragraph I was looking for, and if people are interested, um, if, we, if we could turn to page 74 and look at paragraph 3. Hold on a second. Let me mark my placer so I know where we are when we come back. 74. Uh-huh. And okay, look hold at on. Okay. I'm getting there. Give people just a moment to get it. Okay. Would you like to read it? Okay, okay, I'll read. The atonement actually began long before the resurrection. Many souls offered their efforts on behalf of the separated ones, but they could not withstand the strength of the attack and had to be brought back. Angels came too, but their protection was not enough because the separated ones were not interested in peace. They had already split themselves were bent on dividing rather than reintegrating. The levels they introduced into themselves turned against each other, and they in turn turned against one another. They established differences, divisions, cleavages, dispersion, and all the other concepts related to the increasing splits they produced. Not being in their right minds, they turned their defenses from protection to assault and acted literally insanely. It was essential to introduce a split-proof device which could be used only to heal if it was used at all. Yeah. Yeah, that, that paragraph uh, has always been fascinating. And th that paragraph, uh, pretty much in that form, is in the original edition, too. Mm -hmm. uh, and I remember, you know, I just, I just have, a, I have a, a strange memory about that book those ideas because um, years years ago, many, many years ago, and I just talked to Gloria Wapnick today, so that's kind of strange that it brought up, but many, many years ago, like 30-some years ago, uh, I went to a, an all-day workshop with Ken and Gloria Wapnick, and Gloria was talking about a, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, some guidance she had, some inspiration she had, and she basically was talking about this. This, 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 how souls came to help the separated ones and they couldn't. And the angels came 
and they couldn't. And, um, and it was sort of fascinating. And, you know, but we had, you know, we, it was like, I don't want to say it was put out like her personal revelation. Yeah. But it was sort of put out like her personal guidance. And then, you know, it was sort of interesting. And then years later, that I, I read it in the, <laughs> in the material that none of us had had at that time. So, so, uh, but yeah, but there it is. Yeah. This, this, sort of, this sort of battle between the separated ones and the angels. It's sort of an interesting little uh, idea, but yeah. Anyway, there it is. Jeremy. Well, it seems like a couple of things are being said here and one of them confused me. Um, one is that, I mean, in the text that was read that, um, well, it's sort of like a, an, a willful act of um, to be separate. That, that's one thing, and that's not too hard to get. But then there's this idea of it, it's going to become too late to, um, to resolve that is sort of startling to me because while I think in my mind, well, it may be taking a heck of a long time, is it ever going to be too late? Because that's the way it reads. I can't remember the words now, but uh, something like they had to do the speed up, otherwise it would be too late or something. Did that, did that register with anyone, anyone else? I always get it. It isn't so much that they had to do the speed up, otherwise it would be too late and it would never happen. I get yeah. that they had to do the speed up because otherwise just too much suffering was going on. I didn't ever get that it was ever... It was never inevitable. It's always inevitable. It always seems inevitable that we will eventually heal. But it's um, it's just like they're, they're trying to prevent us from just suffering way more than we need to. That's more the sense I got. From it. But anyway, I want to make sure that we finish reading this cameo. So if we could return back to the cameo so that we can finish reading cameo number one. And we are on page 1689. Thank you, and what's that, Darren? Yeah, it would be Kim, yeah. Oh, okay, great. Yolanda, Yolanda just read, so it would be Kim. Okay. And... Uh, read a bit, I'll tell you when to stop. Um, now, where do I start? Stop, at stop, or...? No, in, on page 1689, where it says, Finally, it is clear. Okay. Finally, it is clear what has been happening to Helen. Before her birth, she had agreed to enter this life in order to play her part in a global plan to restore humanity's forward progress. And this agreement, after slumbering for decades, has at last stirred to life. Receiving this information is a turning point, but instead of the process now rolling forward, things come to a grinding halt. Helen now writes this message from Jesus in large letters in the center of the page. Stop. Clearly, something has temporarily gone wrong. This leads Helen's offer to tear it all up. I'll tear it up if you want. No, maybe tomorrow. Now, just write this. Remember your slip about effect on Neurological Institute and his bills asking when you were going to call up. Without more context, this is a very opaque comment. It is obviously another reference to Bill's questions. When are you going to call the hospital? But more than that, we cannot say. 
Now Helen writes an even more emphatic message from Jesus. Be careful. We can tell this caution comes from Jesus since he repeats it in his next comments. The reference to Jonathan is to Helen's husband, Louis, whom she often called Jonathan in the notes. Also tell Bill about Jonathan's remark. I do not like you all sweetness and light. I like you a little sharp if you get what I mean. And again, be very careful. Something is clearly wrong. Helen has been told with great emphasis to stop and be careful and then to again be very careful. Helen even offers to tear it up if you want. The overall implication seems to be that Helen is in danger of proceeding inappropriately, but in what way? Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, Deb, if you would read for a bit. To understand this, we have to look at the major temptation Helen had faced up to this point. In the summer, she had discovered that she had psychic abilities. About this, she reported, I was actually becoming rather proud of the acquisition of such dramatic abilities, and I even caught brief glimpses of fantasies of power and prestige crossing the back of my mind. This was the major obstacle she had faced in the run-up to the course, her ego being inflated by her newfound abilities. This obstacle was shifted by two pivotal experiences, both of which Helen marked as crucial turning points in accepting her function. In the first, she had a psychic vision of a church she was sure that she and Bill would see when visiting the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. This, however, turned out to be a useless application of her abilities, as Bill discovered that the church existed, but had been razzed long ago to make way for the clinic itself. The true use of her abilities came out on the way home, when she was able to intuitively feel waves and waves of misery going through a young woman in the airport. This far more practical use of Helen's psychic abilities enabled her and Bill to render critical service to this woman at a turning point in her life. The Mayo Clinic experience was followed by and apparently led to an inner vision in which she discovered an ancient scroll on the floor of a cave. As she unrolled the scroll, she saw that the center panel said simply, God is. Opening the scroll further, she saw tiny letters begin to emerge on the right and left panels. She was told that on the left side, she could read all of the past and on the right side, all of the future. Helen, however, chose to reject the reading of past and future and stick with just the center panel. This represented a key decision to use her abilities only for God, not for psychic feats. Helen seems to have believed that this was where she really accepted her function scribe of the course. Okay, thank you. I will continue on here. The road to accepting her function then had been one of repeatedly refusing to use her unusual abilities to fuel her ego and instead giving them to God to use to help others. Returning to our account of the late October dictation, it is probable then that as she stands on the brink of actually beginning her function, she is facing some version of this same voice, same choice again. The particular way in which her ego wants to control her abilities becomes clear in what she writes the next morning, the morning of October 21st, AM. It crossed my mind last night 
that something very wrong had happened. I got mad because I thought I shouldn't be asked to ask for you, Bill. And it was a form of exploitation that was very dangerous for me and represented an avoidance technique for you. I thought the whole thing was so dangerous that I had to tell you not to do it again. Briefly, it crossed my mind, but with no emotional impact at all, which is always suspicious, that I might just resent asking for someone else because I prefer the exclusive idea. Here it is. Helen now identifies what has gone so wrong last night. Her suspicion that it was dangerously unhealthy of Bill to ask for guidance was actually the voice of her ego, wanting her to keep her gift as her own private treasure, as a spring that only she could drink from. As the dictation proceeds, Jesus now elaborates on this. Christ says, I can tell something is wrong because I get a snappy answer. He wouldn't say, tell him to get his own list that way. The tone is wrong. Okay, Jeremy, would you like to read a bit? Sure. So that fifth point that Bill, quote, should try to get his own list, unquote, was in fact an error. It was a distortion introduced by, quote, the exclusive idea, unquote. <clears throat> Helen's urge to keep her gift to herself is wrapping her, is warping, warping her hearing, turning Jesus's voice into something, quote, snappy, unquote, and even as he will later say, quote, mean, unquote. This seems to solve the puzzle of why Jesus told her to, quote, stop, unquote, and, quote, be careful, unquote. He can hardly proceed to dictate the course to her if her ego is taking control of her gift and distorting his voice. This morning, it was very clear to me that in connection with you, Bill, I have not been right since I asked you what you wanted. So I could really be asking for you. Let me read that again. It didn't make sense to me. This morning, it was very clear to me that in connection with you, Bill, I, with you, who was Bill, I have not been right since I asked you what you wanted, so I could really be asking for you. This was essential, and except for the list where I slipped, the answer should be respected. Instead of asking on Bill's behalf being, quote, very dangerous, unquote, and an avoidance technique, unquote, it is, in fact, quote, essential, unquote, and except for that point about Bill's list that she heard <laughs> wasn't that she heard was indeed accurate and quote should be respected unquote you have every right in fact you should ask me to ask for you this is not a selfish gift and it is a real one this upsets me too it has to be used for others and particularly you jesus said jesus ask bill please to help you get over being mean about it fast. Note, at the moment I have a serious doubts about everything. This is holding everything up. Here on the cusp of the course dictation actually beginning, Helen seems to have 
faced another version of the choice she made in the Mayo Clinic experience and in her scroll cave vision in the face of the temptation to keep this gift exclusively for herself she apparently decides with Jesus that quote this is not a selfish gift unquote she decides to use it quote for others unquote and particularly for Bill she decides to fulfill her agreement to help quote the world situation with this key decision made it's as if the final barrier has been swept aside. Helen now writes this message from Jesus. <clears throat> you will see miracles through your hands through me. This is the first line of what would become the miracle principles. The dictation of A Course in Miracles has begun. Very nice. Mm -hmm. Hey, we got a couple minutes. Uh, I think that first line, you know, the, what, what Jeremy just read, what then become became the first line. The first line. The first line of this book, "You will see miracles through your hands through me," is uh, is is just. I mean, just I connect with it. It feels right to me. I just. It just feels like what Jesus would say to open up A Course in Miracles. Um, and um, it's there on the first page of her notes. It's there in the channeling. And the fact that that somehow got edited out is just, um, it's a little mind-boggling. But <laughs> I'm just really glad it's back. That's all I mean to say. I'm, just, I'm glad it's back. I first heard of it maybe like six or eight years ago because Doug Thompson, who put together the ear text, wrote me and, you know, he, I dialogue with him on and off about different issues. And he called my attention to it. And I've not really studied the ear text. And, you know, I, I was a little surprised. So um, yeah, I did a little investigation. And it isn't the first line in the ear text. It's, it's, it's buried a little bit. But it, it is the first line that is written on the notes on page number one it's the first thing she wrote on that day that she started channeling the course so uh, Super important. yes yeah, it's, it's a very important line mm -hmm. you will see miracles through your hands through me anybody else have anything they want to say about any of this I, I here in on page sixty ninety uh, ninety one at the very end there, uh, when it says Christ says I can tell something is wrong whenever I get a snappy answer. Uh, well, I always knew that uh, uh, through uh, studying the the course, uh, the meaning is to achieve the Christ consciousness. But I was never thinking that Jesus is um, is channeling or talking about the Christ consciousness in A Course in Miracles. We found it uh, later in A Course in Love or The Way of Mastery, but I never thought about the in, in, in a course of miracles. In, in miracles. Okay. 
I think there's an explanation. I think I remember reading that Helen used to call Jesus Christ in the beginning. That's what she would call him. Yeah, that's still pretty prevalent. Uh, oh. People still uh, calling Jesus Christ. Okay, I think that we did good. We read a bunch of principles. We got up through principle uh, 32. We read the first cameo. Uh, I'll try to find out what happened to Christine. Um, we really please invite people just to chat on the Facebook group. And um, it's great that you're all here. Thank you so much. I had a great class. So let's, uh, let's just do a little closing prayer. bring our attention and our awareness within. Okay, Holy Spirit, thank you so much for giving us this all, this, this ability here and this technology that just enables us to connect so well with each other, to see each other, to hear each other, to read these words, Course in Miracles, uh, this edition by Robert Perry in the Circle of Atonement, to read some of Robert's thoughts, great Course Scholar. Um, read his thoughts about these early channelings and um, also these special messages that uh, Helen received that didn't make the course proper, these cameos. So um, let's not put any of these people up on a pedestal, though. Uh, just as we heard tonight that it would be raw for Helen to be up there on a pedestal, uh, for Bill to put her up on a pedestal. It's wrong for us to put Helen and Bill and um, and Jesus, really, up on a pedestal either. All of us. Uh, all of us are the Christ as well. All of us have access to the same wisdom. Help us to really relate to this material as our highest self speaking to ourselves because in truth it's that as well amen 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 have a good week bye night sweet dreams with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.